Good evening, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24? Thank you, Bert. Daniel 9, 24. We're going to continue our study of the, that great subject of the day of the Lord. And we're, we're actually uh, looking at the eschatological day of the Lord, that the, the prophecies related to the future. And from here on out, we'll be doing that. Um, and as uh, one of the first dispensation, the first dispensation that takes place after the rapture of the church, which remember the day of the Lord can't happen until the rapture happens, which is imminent. Uh, the first dispensation is the 70th week of, Dan 70th week of Daniel. So, and then that's complete, that ends with the, uh, the second advent of Christ, followed by the millennial reign of Christ, then the creation of the new heavens and the new earth after the great white throne judgment. And uh, so in order to do a study of the 70th week of Daniel and the tribulation period, which is the last three and a half years of the, of the 70th week, we uh, are looking at the 70 weeks prophecy. And uh, tonight we'll be noting, as you can see on the board with this slide, the importance of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And I believe uh, on when we come back uh, on, um, what is it uh, going to be when we come back? What's the date we come oh, back? New yeah, New Year's. Yeah, you know, January 3rd. Yeah. So I think uh, what we'll be doing is the beginning. We'll be noting when we get back uh, the beginning of, yeah. No, no. The full, so we'll do, note the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks prophecy, which is very important because it's related to the 70th week, because the 70th week actually fulfills everything, uh, brings everything to completion. And then after that, we'll be noting the beginning of the 70 weeks, uh, 70 weeks prophecy and the end of the 69th week, followed by the events between the 69th week and the 70th week, which is those three events in verse six, 26. And then we'll be noting the Antichrist treaty with, the, the, that, uh, with Israel that starts the 70th week prophecy. And then we'll be noting the desecration of the temple by the Antichrist, and we'll go from there. So it's, uh, we got a lot of cool things going. We'll be talking a lot about, of course, the Antichrist and who he is and where he's coming from. And a lot of things, a lot of information is actually given about him in the book of Daniel and, of course, Revelation 13. So uh, there's a lot of information there. Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 11 has a lot of uh, verses 36 through 30. The end of the chapter actually gives the, uh, the movements and the character, description of the movements of the character of Antichrist during the 70th week, as well as a character description of him. So there's a lot of stuff that will be interesting, cool stuff that we'll be studying uh, in uh, the not too distant <laughs> future. So remember, we don't have a class this Sunday, of course. It's Christmas Eve. And then also next Wednesday, we have no class. We resume classes the 31st which is uh, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper at that particular time. Remember, we skipped it this, uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, this past month. Uh, this, this month, we skipped it. So uh, I don't think I have any other announcements, so uh, let's uh, take a moment to sign the prayer, look around, you all know what to do. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given to us, another blessing, another gift you've given to us, and we uh, just uh, thank you for all the log logistical grace blessings for another day, the food, shelter, clothing, the jobs, the salaries, the businesses that we have, uh, the homes that we live in, the, uh, the friendships that we have in this church and bringing us together as this local assembly, and I just thank you for everyone that is here this evening, and I just uh, pray that tonight that we'd have a great time fellowshipping in your word tonight. 
as we continue our study of the day of the Lord prophecies that are related to the future, uh, to the rapture. And so uh, this is an exciting series. So Father, I just pray you would use it mightily. And I pray tonight that you would help me uh, as, your, as your instrument to communicate your word today with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that I provide the necessary spiritual nourishment for your people because your word states that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth, your mouth, Father. And uh, I just uh, pray that you would work mightily and powerfully through your people, help them by the Spirit to learn, understand, concentrate, and to prayerfully consider the passages and principles that we'll be noting here this evening with regards to the importance of this great prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And uh, I just pray that as a result, all of us would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. You should be at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, and we'll be in this uh, book, uh, uh, Daniel 9, 24, for a little bit here and a couple of weeks more. And uh, we'll be always referring to it, I'm sure, during the course of uh, our, um, our studies of the eschatological day of the Lord. And uh, as we noted in previous classes, there are many Day of the Lord prophecies uh, that have been fulfilled in the past already. Uh, we mentioned, uh, we listed at least six of them in our previous classes, I think in the opening night. And uh, so those are the things that are already fulfilled. But there's Day of the Lord prophecies, that many of them that are still yet to be fulfilled. In fact, the majority of Day of the Lord prophecies are related to the future. And of course, the event that triggers this uh, eschatological Day of the Lord, remember eschatology, eschatological, I'm talking about prophetic stuff that's future. So the rapture triggers all this. The rapture, which is the resurrection of the church, was not known to Old Testament saints. It was a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says the resurrection of the church is a mystery not known to Old Testament saints. And this is very important. So with, this is a unique dispensation. It's composed of uh, Jewish and Gentile believers. And uh, remember the church age began the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD. It ends with the rapture, the resurrection of the church. So it began with a miracle, the baptism of the spirit, and it will end with a miracle, the resurrection of the church, when our sanctification and our so great salvation will be completed at that time. So the next great prophetic event that we're waiting for is the rapture, the resurrection of the church. Very, very important. So there are people out there, and I say this very important because there's all kinds of people who do date setting, and uh, for the rapture, that's ridiculous, it's foolish, and they always looked foolish when they, uh, they do these things, and they may try to put, uh, pin down a date. No one knows it, the Lord knows it, and that's all that really matters, and he keeps it that way for us so that we will live in light of an imminent expectation of his return so that we'll be on our, uh, 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 on our uh, best behavior, in other words, uh, so that we'll be uh, prepared and knowing that he could come back at any moment, so that's very good for our spiritual life. So if he could come back at any moment, you will be keeping short accounts with God, confessing your sins when necessary, and, uh, and uh, so in order to uh, maintain that fellowship, you're obeying God's word. So the rapture in its imminency, that it could happen at any moment, should be a lot of motivation, more than enough motivation to keep us in fellowship with God and confess our sins immediately when we do sin. And we will sin. So uh, we see that uh, this eschatological day of the Lord, after the rapture, we have uh, the Antichrist will make an appearance on the pages of history. And uh, it's the, the 70th week of Daniel, very important, begins, as we'll see, uh, with the, the um, Antichrist making a treaty, treaty with the nation of Israel, the leadership of Israel, and it's a seven-year period. That constitutes the 70th week of Daniel. And remember, 69 of these weeks, which is equivalent to 483 prophetic years, have already been fulfilled in history. 
and we saw the events in between uh, the end of the 69th week and also uh, the event that begins the 70th week, the Antichrist Treaty with the Nation of Israel, all of those events, Christ's crucifixion, uh, and also the, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and Jerusalem itself in 70 AD by the Romans, all been fulfilled, Daniel 9.26. So verses 24, uh, 24 now that talks about the sixfold purpose of the 70 weeks. That can't come to completion, the sixfold purpose, until the 70th week is completed and the 70th week ends with the second advent to Christ. Remember, and we'll be noting this as we go into it further, uh, and the relationship between the rapture and uh, the, uh, the 70th week of Daniel. Remember, we're safe from the wrath to come, the churches, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, teaches us that it's the removal of the Holy Spirit who permanently indwells the church uh, is the event, and the rapture is the event that allows the proliferation of evil and the, uh, and the uh, manifestation of the Antichrist. And uh, also, uh, remember, we're pre-trib, meaning the rapture is going to precede uh, the uh, the tribulation period. We're going to go through the different views of the rapture, the pre-trib, the mid-trib, the post-trib, and the partial rapture theory, and also the uh, uh, what else do we have? The uh, the, the pre-wrath view, which is very unknown to many people, even some scholars. So there's at least five views of the rapture in relation to the timing of it in relation to the 70th week of Daniel. And we also see that after the second uh, second advent of Christ, remember the second advent, is followed by the millennial reign of Christ, and then we have uh, you see Antichrist is uh, Antichrist uh, the uh, Satan is rem uh, allowed to uh, come back for a brief interval, and the Gog Magog revolution, and uh, the the descendants of those who repopulated the earth that were believers during the millennial reign, they're going to be part of a rebellion led by Satan, which is put down by God, and that's the end of Satan's appeal trial. And, uh, and then we have the new heavens and uh, the, the great white throne judgment of all unbelievers. And then we have the new heavens and the new earth, which we're going to study as well. And uh, so as we noted again in previous classes, there are many day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled during the 70th week. Uh, Zephaniah 1.14, Joel 2.1, 2.11, 3.31 uh, and 3.14, Zechariah 14, 1 and 2, and also Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 16, Acts 2.20, and 1 Thessalonians 5.2 and 2 Thessalonians 2.2 are documentation for that. Now, most students of the Bible we pointed out in our last class, and in particular biblical prophecy, know the prophecy of the 70th week of Daniel helps to compose the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which is recorded in Daniel 9:24 and 27. So let's read Daniel, as again, we're going to do the importance of the 70, week, uh, the 70 weeks prophecy, the entitled in which the 70th week of Daniel is found, okay? So uh, I got a chart. I'm going to go refer to that chart, chart quite a bit. And tonight, though, I just want to talk about the importance of it uh, theologically and also in relation to our walk with God. And so let's read verses 24 through 27 in the NIV, our Bible. And then I want to read my translation of it as well. And remember, in the future, we will be doing the book of Daniel. That's one of those Old Testament books we will be doing. And it is a lot of fun uh, to do. It's not just the prophecy, but you get great... Uh, you know, great examples of faith with Daniel and his uh, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of the great chapters are chapter uh, 3 and 6, and there's many others. And so we learn a lot about the angelic conflict and how what's going on in the angelic realm is being reflected in our 
in the human realm, and especially when we're talking about governmental authorities. So that's why the importance of the church praying for its leaders. So let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. On the board, you can read it with me, the NIV, or you can read it from your own Bibles in front of you. It says in Daniel 9, 24, it says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So this will is a subject, this sixfold purpose, we'll be noting in one of these classes in the not-too-distant future, as I pointed out before the opening prayer. Now, verse 25 says, Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now that is that decree, as we'll see, is Article Xerxes' Longamanus in 444 B.C., we're going to spend an evening on this, and the reason why is because there was like four t- t- decrees that were put out around this time, around this area of history. So we're going to find out which exactly is the one we're talking about. So he says, so that starts the 70 weeks prophecy. So from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's recorded for us in the book of Nehemiah, until the anointed one, and what he means by that is the presentation of the Messiah to the nation of Israel which is recorded for us in the Gospels, like in Luke. And Christ weeps over Jerusalem, knowing that they were going to reject him as their Messiah, the nation would. And then this would uh, be the, uh, the suspension of the kingdom of God being established on the earth and uh, restoring Israel to its rightful place as head of the nations. So then it says, the, it says uh, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, and that's, of course, that is speaking of the Lord, that the ruler comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And they're contiguous. They, contiguous. they run on top of each other. It will be rebuilt with streets and, tra- and a trench, but in times of trouble. And the book of Nehemiah, as I said before, <laughs> documents this. Then it says, after the 62 sevens, okay, the anointed one will be cut off. That's the execution of the Messiah, Jesus, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This too is fulfilled in history with the Romans. The people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary were the Romans. Romans in 70 AD. Josephus records that in great detail for us. Now the ruler is from these people. If you notice very carefully. He's a Roman. There you go. Then it goes on to say the end will come like a flood. That's speaking of wars we'll see. War will continue until the end. There you goes the context. And desolations have been decreed. Now, those verses, verses 25 and 26, have been fulfilled in literal detail, right down to the day, as we'll see. From the beginning of the decree, with Artaxerxes' long Amenus decree in 444 B.C., to the day that Christ walks into Jerusalem, we have the exact day, number of days it would be. And if you were a Jew that knew this prophecy, you could knew the day that Messiah would be walking into Jerusalem. You could know that. But uh, many, of course, the majority did not. And then we have, in verse 27, the description of the 70th week, which is yet future. How do we know this? As we'll see, nothing in verse 27 corresponds to anything in history. So it says, he, and this is talking about the ruler that comes from the people, the Romans, who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the the temple, he, the Antichrist, we'll see, will confirm a covenant, a treaty, with many for one seven. That's the, the 70th week. And the middle of the seven, which according to, remember the Jewish reckoning of time is involved here. It's not a 365-day calendar. It's a 360-day calendar. And so we see that's 1,260 days 
uh, into, or uh, was it 42 months, into this treaty, he breaks it and by de desecrating the temple. And there are two abominations, as we'll see. The uh, Antichrist uh, uh, sitting down between the, uh, on the Ark of the Covenant and the rebuilt Jewish temple and proclaiming himself God. And then we have the false prophet who promotes the worship of the Antichrist, building an image of him, noted in Revelation 13, as we'll see. And he, that, is the, that event there is what triggers Jesus to say in Matthew 24, there's all of it discourse, that you see that standing, that desolation, the Jews at that generation are to run for the hills. And only a small, tiny remnant will stay in the city and fight an uh, uh, Antichrist until Christ comes back in the second advent. We know that from the book of Zechariah. So it says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out. My translation of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Verse 24, it says, 70 units of seven years have been decreed for the benefit of your people, that's the Jewish people, Daniel was a Jew, as well as for the benefit of your holy city, Jerusalem, in order to put an end to the rebellion and in addition to bring sin to an end as well as to atone for iniquity, likewise to bring about everlasting righteousness as well as to seal up prophetic vision and in addition to anoint the most holy place. Verse 25, he then goes on to say, the angel to Daniel, he says, therefore, please know, yes, please carefully consider from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, that's the Messiah, there will be seven units of seven years and 62 units of seven years. It will be restored, yes, it will be rebuilt with a public square as well as a defensive trench even during distressful times. Verse 26, then after the 62 units of seven years, the Messiah will be executed so that he possesses nothing. Next, the people of the coming leader will destroy the city as well as the sanctuary. Indeed, its end will take place with a flood. Yes, there'll be war up to the end. Desolations have been decreed. Then we have in verse 27, then he, the Antichrist in context, will establish a firm covenant with the leaders, the leaders of Israel, which will be one unit of seven years. However, he will cause the sacrificial offering to stop in the middle of this unit of seven years while between the wings which results in abominations, and that's very little translation from the Hebrew. And by the way, if anybody ever wants to look at the exegesis in detail of this book, like any of the books I've done in the past, you can do that on, at winstrom.org, and you can download it and look at it in great detail. So it's, uh, as I get, my, this is not off the top of my head. This is going back to the original Hebrew, okay? So then it says, then he will establish a firm covenant with the leaders, which will be one unit of seven years. However, he will cause the sacrificial offering to stop in the middle of this unit of seven years, while between the wings, which results in abominations, notice the plural, and your, in your Bibles, it's in, I think it's in the singular, right? But it's in, literally, it's in the plural. And there's good reason. And then it says, he will cause desecration. That's the Antichrist. Indeed, until a dec decree, complete destruction is poured out against the desecrator. So, 
Uh, this is a, uh, as I've been showing you, a chart. There's two of them I have. One is the 70 weeks and one is for the second, uh, 70th week of Daniel. And so this is the 70 weeks prophecy. So I put it in chart form for you. Uh, what we just read and those verses in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So as we'll see, and we'll go through each one of these again, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was in 444 BC and the decree was by Artaxerxes Longamanus, a Persian ruler. And so we see that uh, we have, that begins the 70 weeks prophecy. So remember, you have seven weeks on top of, a, a 62 weeks on top of a seven week period. So this first, as we brought, as it brings out in your, in your translation, of the NIV, if you look, it says 77 are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. Then it says in verse 25, no one understand this, understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There'll be seven sevens. So the seven sevens here, if you look up on the board, is seven weeks. It's equivalent to 49 years. And then he says right after that, and they're contiguous, they're on top of each other. And 62 sevens will follow it, okay? So that 62 sevens is 62 weeks equivalent to 434 years. And what ends it is Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that is what uh, we have until the anointed one is referring to. And the ruler is, of course, speaking of the Messiah. So there's two rulers in here, two princes. One, the Antichrist in verse uh, 26 and 27, and the Messiah in verse 25. Very important. We touched upon that. We'll look at it in detail. So we see that 69 weeks have been filled in history, equivalent to 483 prophetic years. The 70th week has not begun because we haven't seen any Roman ruler, dictator, uh, make a, uh, a treaty with Israel for seven years. And it won't happen until the church is gone. So right now, verse 26 is talking about the period between the end of the uh, the, the uh, 69th week and the beginning of the 7th week, 70th week. So we have the church ages during this period. So you had the cross, you had the destruction of Jerusalem and the city of uh, the temple, Herod's temple. All verse 26 has been fulfilled in history, literally. And the church age, the mystery dispensation, is where we are in history. And we have to be gone again before this 70th week can make, take place. And so the 70th week is broken out into two, three and a half year sections. Okay, so if you look at your Bible, it says in verse 27, it says, He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. Okay? In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And that is when we have the Armageddon campaign begins. Okay? And this is what Jesus talked about, the tribulation, great tribulation. I think the older translations have great tribulation. I don't believe in Matthew that, uh, 24 that the NIV translate that way. I know the, NIV, the New American Standard translates it great tribulation. That's where we get this idea of great tribulation. But you've got to remember, uh, it starts really with Antichrist desecrating the temple, breaking the treaty. So that three and a half years preceding that is what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that there'll be peace and safety. The inhabitants of the earth at that time uh, will be thinking there's peace and safety because it'll be like a utopian society. Who knows? Probably he'll, Antichrist will make a deal uh, with Israel and, try to, and will resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict and, and, and Islam. And remember, he's going to be able to do signs and wonders. So he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be trying to appeal to everybody, including the Muslims. I believe that's what he'll be doing because he'll be doing many signs and wonders 
and uh, they're looking for uh, somebody like that too. So people don't realize. So this is what's going to happen. The Jews are looking for their Messiah. The Orthodox Jews are, and the Islam is looking for their guy. And so every, there's, everybody in the earth is looking for a world ruler, as we'll say. And that is, we'll talk about that in detail. There's a lot of talk throughout the last 50, 60 years since World War II about the need for one man to rule, take this, put this thing together, and let it roll. And uh, that, so they want a one world government, we know, but there will be pushback against the Antichrist, as we'll see in detail. China, the, the nations of the Far East will kick back. We know the Kingdom of Jordan at least is going to go and, and resist him and, and be successful. And so uh, this is, we've got a lot of things going on. So three and a half years is, you could describe it as the colonel used to call it, the Cold War. And then we have the hot war begins with Antichrist desecrating the temple. It ends with the second advent of Christ. So this is what we call eschatological future uh, prophecy of the day of the Lord. And so this is very, very important that we understand that. And we'll talk about this in great detail. So uh, we see... If you look at uh, this slide on the board, we're going to talk about the, the importance of the 70 weeks of Daniel. First of all, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 actually constitutes the key, the key to all prophetic interpretation. And, this is the, and thus it's the backbone of biblical prophecy. And it outlines the future of the nation of Israel. Very, very important. Uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 constitutes the key, again, to all prophetic interpretation. In fact, if you want, read the Olivet Discourse and Matthew 24, it's very interesting that there's a book a guy did. I can't get the, I can't get the, I don't want to buy the book. It's like a hundred and something dollars. I mean, I've been waiting for it to come down in price. It's a very obscure book. I don't even know if they're reprinting it. a guy out of Dallas and he did a thing on it about um, and I want to get it, it sounds fascinating, and others have read it and have referred to it. But he, he basically, he shows how all of the discourse and Jesus talking about this period is all based upon Daniel 9, 26, uh, uh, 27. It's the whole thing. He shows how he does it in, 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 in his, uh, his, his all of the discourse, his, his all of the discourse in Matthew 24. So again, if you want to know prophecy, you got to know this. If you don't know this, this passage, you're not going to, you're going to be screwed up. And you'll be, up, one of the things that's very important about getting your eschatology straight is because of the false doctrine that's out there. Okay? Because of the false doctrine out there. And especially with the advent of the internet, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is on YouTube and everybody thinks, oh, I'm listening to this guy and he's great. Oh, yeah. Have you checked out what he has to say? Have you checked out in scripture if what he has to say is the truth? And as I said many times to you, just because I'm on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it is, I have a website, that doesn't mean I'm legit. What makes me legit is if I'm teaching according to what the Spirit teaches in the Scriptures. And you, as a, as a royal priest, you have the indwelling of the Spirit, just like I do. All believers have it. And you have the anointing, as John calls it, which is the indwelling of the Spirit that helps you discern truth or error. Okay, and I've always said this before. If you don't understand something, it doesn't mean you're being disrespectful. All right to ask questions. I have no problem with anybody asking questions. My door, my, anybody who knows me, it's a wide open door. I got people all around the world who want to contact me and will ask me questions. And they might disagree with me, but a lot of them are seeking truth. And if, even if you disagree with me, I have no problem with that either. You know, you have a, a, a passage that refutes what I do. Oh, by all means, bring it on. But this is very important that we, we just don't believe anything somebody says just because they got a degree. 
Because let me tell you something. I know guys who know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and they're tremendous with that, but their interpretation skills are horrendous. It just doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. Okay? So you've got to know, have, when it comes to prophecy, just like you do the rest of the Bible, we follow a, a literal, grammatical, historical uh, approach to Scripture. That's the key to understanding prophecy because a lot of guys, uh, when they come to prophecy, they, they, uh, even though they hold to what we hold, literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture, or in other words, the ICE principle, ICE categorical, exegetical, they believe that, but when it comes to prophecy, they run away from that. Okay, why? Well, they have a theological construct uh, which doesn't allow that because they see the church as the new Israel is one of those reasons. And if you follow the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture, you'll see that there's a distinction between Israel and the church. And that, you know, just all those prophecies that God made to the nation of Israel, unconditional prophecies, Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenant, those covenants are unconditional promises, guarantees the future of the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 31 talks about the new covenant in relation to the fact that that covenant guarantees there will always be a nation. Hitler could try to, to destroy the nation. Antichrist is going to try to do it. Islam will try to destroy it, the radical aspects of it. And guess what? They're going to fail because God has a future for the nation of Israel. So when you make the church the new Israel, you're in error. And that's why they go away from the literal, grammatical, historical uh, interpretation of Scripture, the ICE principle, because of their theological construct, which brings out a big point. I've said, you follow the evidence. You might not like what the evidence says in Scripture, but you follow the truth. Be objective. And always remember, all of us have preconceived notions coming into the Scriptures when we interpret it. But you got to, to, to deal with that, you've got, to, you've got to be aware of that. So there's many things, interpretations, not any particular doctrines, because uh, uh, the guys I, I was, uh, I, uh, for instance, uh, the, the uh, different people I've studied under in the past, we all agree on the, on the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, okay? But there are certain interpretations, certain passages I would fall, uh, go away from now, only and there's a few, not a lot, but I go away because I don't see what they see. In fact, I see something different. So, because I'm trying to follow the evidence, I'm not going to abide by a certain doctrine or interpretation if I think it's wrong. And I don't care if it's the guy who's my, uh, I respect greatly. And there's some men I, I value very much and learned a lot from, but I disagree with them on interpretive issues. Okay? None that leads to false doctrine. Okay? So, very important we understand that. So, very important that we understand that the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel constitutes the key to all prophetic interpretation. And thus, it's the backbone of biblical prophecy. And as I said before, the Lord himself in the Olive Discourse follows the 70 weeks prophecy, and particularly the 70th week prophecy in verse 27 of Daniel 9. And also, this prophecy of the 70 weeks, it outlines the future of the nation of Israel. Now, the prophecy of the 70 weeks is extremely important because it affirms, as I mentioned earlier, the literal grammatical and historical method of interpreting prophecy. And also it clearly demonstrates the truth of the scriptures. See, most, the majority, I don't know too many that don't disagree with me, but the literal grammatical historical method, you and I know it from the kernel ICE. Isagogics, history, you study the Bible in its historical context, categorical, you compare scripture with scripture, and exegetical, you go back to the original languages. That's what we're saying here. 
Most Christians know it that way. One of my things that God has used me is to try to bring together uh, the themers with the rest of Christianity, with the, techno- with the, uh, the, the nomenclature, because some people run away from the nomen because of the nomenclature. They never heard it before. What do you mean by uh, uh, ice principle? I never heard it before. But he had his own teaching th- things that he tools that he used it for his people, and he's t- sound doctrine. So I'm trying to exp- uh, bring together that wing of Christianity with the others. I find God has used me to do that. Amazingly, I don't know why, but uh, so maybe it's there a need. So this is very important. The prophecy of the 70 weeks is extremely important because it affirms the literal, grammatical, historical method of interpreting prophecy, and it also clearly demonstrates the truth of the scriptures. It also supports the idea that the church is a mystery. It was not known to Old Testament saints like Daniel. It's a mystery doctrine. Nobody knew about it in the Old Testament. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and he talks about the mystery quite a bit. It's that Jew and Gentiles are what? Co-heirs and co-members of the body and co- fellow partakers of the promise because of their faith in Christ, the justification, and their union identification with him. And that's you and I are in a unique dispensation. Jewish and Gentile church-age believers are united. There's neither male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, all are one in Christ. And so we have equal privilege, equal opportunity to execute the plan of God. Every single one of us. So this, was, this makes women born in this dispensation should rejoice and give thanks to God because you have much more opportunity than women of the Old Testament did. You were never said to be uh, fellow uh, co-heirs with uh, any uh, Jewish man in that sense. Uh, like uh, fellow partakers or stuff like that, fellow members. Women were second-class citizens almost, not quite. So you and I are part of a mystery dispensation, and it started with the baptism of the Spirit, and in fact, every church age, every person born in the church age who believes in Jesus Christ is, is, experiences the baptism of the Spirit at their justification, which places you in union with Christ, which means that Christ, uh, the Father looks at you and I as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seen with Christ. And that means we're part of the new humanity that's going to reign with Christ for a thousand years in the millennial reign and on into eternity. The new heavens and the new earth. You're part of it. So women in the church age have just as much opportunity now to uh, become uh, overcomers, Revelation 2 and 3, and rule over the nations. So there'll be some women that will have been faithful and and executing God's plan to become like Christ that they'll receive... uh, 10 nations, some of them, or whatever it is, as far as rulership and Christ's millennial government. Very, very cool. And so women in the Old Testament didn't have that opportunity. So this is pretty cool. Now the prophecy of the 70th weeks makes clear that this prophecy is directly related to the nation of Israel. Says it right off, to your people, Daniel. And its future. It also makes clear the prophecy is directly related to the nation of Israel and its future. And it also makes clear that Israel has a future, and refutes replacement theology, which contends the church has replaced Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. Because of why? The four unconditional uh, covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. And the, the Abrahamic, which uh, then they have the Palestinian, or we could say the land covenant, which is a, a part of the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. This is very important. Replacement theology says that the church has replaced Israel. In fact, the majority of Christianity is, believes this. We're, we're dispensationalists that don't believe that 
we're in the minority, and dispensationalists have been actually, uh, uh, I believe, persecuted to a certain extent in biblical academia in America and Europe because they're, they're considered for many times as being uh, um, heretical, which is outrageous. And of course, uh, with the work of John Wolverd, the second president of Dallas Theological Seminary, contemporary of the colonel, and also Pentecost was one of the giants in eschatology, great man of God, and he just passed away in his 90s. And Charles Ryer, who went home to be with the Lord not too long ago, all of those are big, big, big uh, defenders of dispensationalism and have refuted all the attacks. They, 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 it's amazing what they, they've done. And it's very important. It's very important. So you understand the 70 weeks prophecy. You understand where history's going. You know what's going on with Israel. You're not shocked by what's going on over there in Israel. And this study is going to help you understand what's going on in current events and where the United States fits into this whole thing, which he's never even mentioned in prophecy, by the way. So we have, furthermore, that this prophecy of the 70 weeks presents the chronology of prophecy. It actually presents the chronology of prophecy. And also the prophecy of the 70 weeks also refutes the attempt of liberal scholars to question the date of writing for Daniel's prophecies. Uh, remember, liberal scholars have assigned a 2nd century B.C. date to the book of Daniel because they don't believe in prophecy. And they say that Daniel wrote after the events recorded in this book that bears his name. So liberal theologians, you'll hear me say liberals, I don't always, I'm not always talking, if I say they're liberal politically, I'm mentioning it politically, I'll say politically. When I say liberals, usually it's talking about theologians that are liberal in the sense that they deny the supernatural. They deny the inspiration of scripture. They deny fulfilled prophecy. And so because of that, okay, because they deny uh, the supernatural, they don't believe that Daniel could have wrote these events and predicted all these events that became to pass and fulfilled in literal and minute detail. I mean, Daniel 11, 1 through 35, is incredible. And it's been fulfilled literally in history. Uh, then there's also uh, Daniel chapter 2, okay? Most of Daniel chapter 2 has been fulfilled like most of Daniel chapter 7. A lot of that's been fulfilled. And Daniel chapter 8 has been fulfilled. It's, it's, it's predicted uh, future empires, the, Mado, uh, Abraham, uh, the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, uh, Alexander, Alexander the Great, his Greek empire, the Roman Empire, fulfilled everybody. He's predicted these empires would come to pass, and he wrote about it in the 6th century B.C. So the book of Daniel is a stunning, stunning book, and it refutes... As I say, you can see the slide on the board, it refutes the attempt of liberal scholars to question the date of writing for Daniel's prophecy. Second of all, as we pointed out in previous classes, uh, that uh, the, uh, the, the Jews, the nation of Israel, they've always looked at this as written in the 6th century B.C., and so is the church. And they're close to the original autographs than we are. So all of a sudden, because of the, uh, not the Reformation, but because of the Enlightenment, the so-called Enlightenment, uh, we see that uh, in the last, especially the last 200 years, we see this rejection of prophecy of the, of the Bible and the inspiration of Scripture because of modern critic, critical theory. Uh, like, for instance, uh, the Germans. The Germans came out with this modern, modern critical theory, and they have, uh, many, not all of the Germans are, are like this, but a lot of the German scholars were refuting this. And because of evolution, and there's a lot of things happening in Germany, with Hitler's Germany coming about, that's all because of the mark of evolution. They embraced it. 
And so therefore, you could have a Hitler come to power. And it was affecting the, even the theological seminaries, this whole thing. So we see that the prophecy of the 70 weeks again in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 refutes the attempt of liberal scholars to question the date of writing for Daniel's prophecy. Now, the prophecy of the 70 weeks in Daniel 9, 24 through 27 further supports the biblical doctrine that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the nations and he's sovereign over our lives. Every single one of you whether you realize it or not, he is sovereign over your life and the life of your own nation, wherever you might be, whoever hears my voice, whether you're in China, Russia, England, wherever you are in the world, in the United States, God is sovereign over the nations. And so he's also, this prophecy makes clear that he's omnipotent, all-powerful, and that he can bring to pass that which he declares will take place in history. Everything that God says will come to pass, will come to pass, and he, we have so much fulfilled prophecy already. Just take the person of Christ. Over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Christ. Some of them, when he before, as far as where he would be born, things that had, he, wasn't, he wasn't in functioning human being yet, okay? And things like that, where he would be born. And uh, in the, in the, the murder of the, the infant baby boys uh, by Herod, predicted by, in the book of Jeremiah, Rachel weeping over her children. Christ was only two years old as a human being, okay? So these prophecies have been fulfilled literally in minute detail, and if he's done that, and we've seen many, many prophecies of Daniel have been fulfilled, he's certainly going to fulfill these other prophecies, and I think it was like two-thirds of the Bible is yet, prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. I'm sure he's going to do that too if he could fulfill uh, a third of them already, literally, I think he can do the, the, the last two-thirds as well. So the prophecy, again, of the 70 weeks further supports the biblical doctrine that God is sovereign and that he is omnipotent and that he can bring to pass that which he declares will take place in, in history. It also demonstrates that he's omniscient, omniscient, and he has all knowledge, both of the actual and the possible, and, it, and it, he knows what will take place in history before it happens. I think it's very comforting. I never get too worked up. People get all worked up about what's going on in current events, like the whole thing that happened in Hamas. I'm like, okay. Okay, why are you surprised? It's happening. We know it was going to happen. This is the times of the Gentiles, okay, where Gentile powers will dominate over Israel and superpowers will be Gentile. And so we, that's why Israel's caught in the crosshairs between Russia and the United States and China and all these nations. She's right in the thick of it, and that's because she's under discipline as a nation, okay, under discipline. This is going to continue all the way into up to the 70th week of Daniel, at the end of the 70th week with the second advent, then it ends. And then you have her millennial reign. But right now, the majority of Jews have rejected Jesus. In fact, if you go to Israel, most Jews, you wouldn't even call, you call them like reformed Jews. I think I was talking, I mean, I had Jewish friends in the past. There's Orthodox Jews, okay? They're the ones that are getting ready for the temple and everything and the sacrifices. And, you know, they don't care about where the, the temple is, you know, where they're going to build it. Those are Orthodox Jews, but the majority are not like that, Okay. They're like a lot of Jews in America. They call themselves Reformed Jews, but basically they're almost atheistic, a lot of them, and not all of them. But again, they don't adhere to the, the, the Mosaic Law and all that stuff and the dietary, you know, the stuff like that, dietary regulations where the Hasidic Jews, they do that, okay? So it's very important that we see that God has got his hand on history. And so the Christian, because he knows these things, is not upset and not fr frazzled by things. Uh, I remember uh, 
mean, I tell you the story, uh, this company I used to work for in Massachusetts back in the late 80s, early 90s, remember the first Gulf War took place, and there was really concern about Israel get, retaliating against these missiles being shot over into Israel, and uh, the United States was trying to, hey, calm you, take it easy, please, don't, 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 don't retaliate with Iraq, because then it'll blow up. Because, again, America, in their, in their game planning since the Cold War, believes that the final the World War III is going to start over there in Israel, in the Middle East. That's the, that we know that from the Northwoods documents about the Cold War, how they thought that was where it's going to start, and uh, I don't think that's really changed. I could be wrong, but I've run it by some people, and you know, I don't know. And so, but it's probably this is still the case. So, and uh, and as current events point uh, bear out, they're sitting on a gold mine. They're they're, they're a wealthy nation. And uh, we find they got oil now. They discovered lots of oil. A lot of people don't even know that the mineral deposits of the D Dead Sea have really they haven't been mined the way they could. They're, they're loaded there. In fact, that's going to lead Russia and her satellites, according to Rebel uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, to attack her. And we're going to study that invasion too, and the timing of it. When is it going to happen? And so uh, this is uh, pretty, quite interesting stuff. So we know what's coming. God's omnipotent. Uh, so his word fulfilled prophecy. It tells us uh, this seventy weeks prophecy. It says that we can count on God's word. It should be should, if if God can control history, all right, and he, whatever he says comes to pass, okay, and he can say it centuries before it happens, okay. Well, don't you think we should? If that's the case, don't you think we should cling to his word when it comes to our living our lives here on planet Earth? And whether, whatever it is, and making decisions in life, whether it's choosing a spouse, choosing a job, where I'm going to live, how I should live my life, how should I raise my kids, how should I conduct my marriage, how should I treat my wife, how I treat my husband, how I treat my, raise my kids, all that stuff. How should I do, be in my job, how should I treat my employees, all of that. We should be listening to the word of God, what the Spirit's teaching us, because this fulfilled prophecy is telling us, yes, go to God's word. You can hang your hat on his word, and it will change your life. It's changed my life. And don't, don't, don't miss this. When you talk to a non-believer, do not be afraid to get personal about how it's changed your life. Okay? And, you know, I say to people, you know why? One of the reasons why I got into God's word, I found it works. And I said this to somebody, we're talking, I think it was, uh, we're talking to, uh, uh, talking to Pastor Peek and, and, and Mrs. Peek, Last night we had dinner, and we're talking about, you know, psychology and all that stuff, you know. Look at, psychology is, is humanism, okay? Now, there are some things that, you know, you, when you come to God's word, some Christians, they act as if God's word's not sufficient. Now, there are some things, I have to balance this, because there are people who have problems with their brain, the bi biologically, okay? So there, there are things that you t can take today that with, pharmac with, the, with medicine that alleviates that. But most of the problems I see with people has to do with the soul. And I was no different. You know, today, I would have been diagnosed if I lived today and I was 19 years old, 18 years old, my mother would have taken me to a doctor and said, well, he's bipolar. You know, whoosh, up and down, all, you know, you ever hear people diagnosed as bipolar? Okay, I look at them and say, hey, just like I was. They're crazy like I am. They're moody. They're unhappy. They're unfit. You know, they, don't, they, they, they can't find any fulfillment in life. They're, they're searching. Yeah, I was the same way. I got saved at 19, but it wasn't until I got into the Bible at 24 when I started making a, a, a determined effort to stop trying to be a rock star and, 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 and get my life together and study the Word of God because I wasn't happy trying to be a rock star and, and, or, or having a pretty girlfriend. 
It didn't give me any happiness. What got me happy was the word of God. It cleaned up all the garbage in my soul. Christ's word, his word is sufficient. You don't need a pill. Again, the caveat is if you might have a problem with your brain not functioning properly. So if, let's say, for instance, you got in a car accident and you got a severe brain injury. The drugs can actually help, but you've got to be very, very careful because they can overdo it. I, I had this problem with my mother with d- dementia. Didn't need the, 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 the stuff that they gave her because all that stuff is for quality of life, not to stop the disease. Okay? So you've got to be very careful and you've got to be a good advocate for the people, your loved ones, where doctors want to start throwing pills into them. Okay? So again, God's word is sufficient. We know that because of what his word does. If he can control history with his word and create the time out of space continuum from just speaking it into existence and hold it all together, I think he can run our lives. I think he can govern our lives and I think he can give us happiness because what everybody's looking for is happiness, really, and joy, peace. Only God's word can clean up the garbage. A lot of the things that we say and do, and I know this from experience as being someone who's just as whacked out as the next guy, is that we don't have peace and we go running for it and find it in other places and can't find it. We have a country that is drugged up, alcoholics, drug abusers, and we see them whirling the streets of Huntsville and other nations and we got an epidemic like crazy going on. But we have the gospel, the good news that can clear up all that stuff. We get the solution and they can try to do all these stuff with their humanistic philosophy and how they're going to solve this problem. You ain't going to solve the problem, you can put a band-aid on it. Only we get the solution to the problem, which is the word of God, the gospel. Because only the gospel can give us peace for the human soul and also the world. Only the gospel. So, we see that there are several important factors regarding this prophecy of the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. One, it's directly related. It's directly related to the nation of Israel and not the church. And it also has to do with the city of Jerusalem. So if you look at Daniel 9.24 again, look at Daniel 9.24. I'll get a shot of water. Man, I have this hankering for eggnog. Does anybody else have a hankering for eggnog? Daniel 9.24. Is it 77? Where's some of you laughing out there? 77 is a decree for your people. The church wasn't even thought of yet. How do you know that? Because there's some people say the church was in the Old Testament. Seriously? Have you not read Matthew 16, upon this rock? I will build, will, future tense, my church. It was still future when Jesus said that. Old Testament, it's not found in the Old Testament. That's not being a careful reader of scripture. I would have you after school and doing 50 times on the board, I will pay attention to what the scriptures are. Okay, 77 is a decree for your people and your holy city, that's Jerusalem. There it is, okay? So again, my first point here, as far as the several important factors regarding this prophecy of Daniel 70, uh, 70 weeks, it says, first of all, as you see on the board, it's directly related to the nation of Israel and not the church, and it also has to do with the city of Jerusalem. Secondly, there are two different princes, as I pointed out, in two different occasions, one tonight and in previous classes. There are two different princes mentioned in this prophecy, and that they are distinct from each other and should not be taken as referring to the same individual. Uh, in Daniel chapter 9.25, the first prince is mentioned who is called the Messiah, the prince. And the second appears in Daniel 9.26, and he is called the prince who is to come. And so if you look at Daniel 9.25, uh, 
25, it says, Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, and the word means uh, prince, uh, right here is the word prince, the ruler or prince who comes, and there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens, and it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So what we have here, until the anointed one, the ruler, the prince, that's Christ, that's the Messiah. But if you look at verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, okay, will be cut off and will have nothing in the people of the ruler. It means, literally means prince. Uh, you can say ruler, translate it that way, like the NIV, but literally it means prince. The people of the ruler, the Romans, and this ruler comes from the Romans, who will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood, war. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. So again, back to what I said before, the second point. There are two different princes mentioned in Daniel uh, 9, 26, uh, 24 through 27, and that they're distinct from each other and should not be taken as referring to the same individual. As I said before, in verse 25, we have the first prince, the first ruler, we could say, in your Bibles, is mentioned, and he's, he's the Messiah, the prince, and the second appears in verse 26, and he is called the prince who is to come. Thirdly, another important factor about this prophecy, it has a specific time period, namely 70 weeks, or another, in other words, 490 prophetic years. Another important factor regarding the prophecy of the 70 weeks is that it's divided into three parts, as we pointed out to you. First, we have the seven weeks, or uh, 49 prophetic years, okay? The first seven, okay? Then you have on top of that 62 weeks, and that's equivalent to 434 prophetic years, according to the Jewish reckoning of time of 360-day calendar. And the third one, of course, is the one week which is seven prophetic years. Now, the 70 weeks begins at a specific point in history, namely, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, as it says in verse 25. And we'll talk about there are four different decrees this could possibly be. So we're going to go through each one of those and show you why <coughs> the one that Artaxerxes Longamatus did was the correct one. Also, at the end of the 69 weeks, or 483 prophetic years, the Messiah is said to appear. And after the 69th week, the Messiah is said to be cut off. And Jerusalem and the temple will once again be destroyed, but this time by the people of the prince who is to come. Now, the 70th week also has a fixed point because it begins, as we pointed out in Daniel 9.27, with the prince who is to come, Antichrist, forging a seven-year treaty with the nation of Israel. And in the middle of the se this seven-year period, this prince of the people, who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering in the temple. Okay, now we'll talk about this. Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who's actually prophesied about in Daniel chapter 8, okay? He's not being talked about in verse 27 because nothing that he did corresponds to what we have in Daniel 9.27. So, we see that there's a fixed point for the 70th week, just like the whole 70 weeks prophecy. And the fixed point for the 70th week is Antichrist making a treaty. As it says in Daniel 9.27, he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with the many for 1-7. That starts the 70th week. Now, that cannot happen until, again, we are out of here. Let me show you that real quickly. Uh, go to uh, 2 Thessalonians. Hold your place. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Quickly. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. How are we doing for time? Okay. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Now, that is a reference to the rapture. Now, listen to me. The reason why he's bringing it up because he wants to show you the relationship between the rapture and the day of the Lord. When the Lord will pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world with the seven seal, trumpet, and bold judgments of Revelation 6 to 18. Okay? So he says, I, we ask you, brothers. Now, listen to me. These guys were not even believers more than a year. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silvanus, who started the church there, were three weeks with the Jews, and then only a small remnant believed, and the rest of the time he was with the Gentiles, and the Gentiles flocked to the gospel. Alright? And so he might have been there about a year, him and Silvanus, and then they had to leave because of persecution. That's what prompted him to write First Thessalonians. Okay? So in 2 Thessalonians, he's saying to his, he says, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come, the tribulation period. So this is, think about this. Paul is, now most guys would disagree with me and say, oh, you should make a deal. Paul made a big deal about the timing of the rapture. He doesn't want to think anybody think the tribulation's going on and we're going through it. See that? He doesn't want them upset about it. Why? I don't want you to think you, they, he, he doesn't, he, he's saying, you're not going to go through it. And he tells them why for the rest of the, cha- the rest of, uh, from ver- all the way to verse 12. So that means he doesn't want anybody in the church to think that they're going to go through the tribulation period. Now, Paul would be upset with people who are not pre-trib. He would be upset with them. He doesn't want anybody upset by that. Because you're not going to want to be on the earth when this happens. You have Satan thrown down in the midway point, right? You have the war to end all wars. The earth is going to be, God's wrath is being poured out. The Lamb of God's wrath is poured out with those seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. And then you get Satan, knowing he only has a short time before he's in prison for a thousand years, going nuts trying to kill the Jews. And anybody who's a, who's a Gentile that becomes a believer, off with your head. It's going to be the worst time. Hitler's going to be a Mary Poppins compared to this guy. And he's going to be a charismatic with great powers that given to him by the devil. Okay? So very important. And so we have a satanic trinity that's actually mentioned in the Bible, like in Revelation 13. Uh, the father, the, Satan's aping the father. When I say aping, he's mimicking him. The Antichrist is mimicking Jesus, and the false prophet is mimicking the, uh, the Holy Spirit. A false prophet lifts up the promotion of the worship of the Antichrist, just like the Holy Spirit worships up, pushes the, uh, the worship of Jesus Christ, right? Satanic trinity. So that's why I say Satan's not indwelling Antichrist, okay? He's empowering him, it says, okay? Very important. So he says, not, he doesn't want them to be unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us, okay, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion. Now, apostasia is the word. I did a, we'll do a thing on this. It, I used to believe these other two views, not anymore. There's only one that's correct and the context tells you. It's, some people, and I used to believe this for a long time, believe it was the rapture. It doesn't, believe, it doesn't say anything about the rapture. I'll tell you why. And it also doesn't speak of the great apostasy at the end of the church age. I used to think that for a long time. Why I did this passage, and years before that, I did it quite uh, carefully, right? 
See this word rebellion, apostasia? That's how it usually means. It means uh, not, not apostasy like we know it. It means uh, a rebellion. Now, the context is telling you what kind of rebellion we have. He's def- like Paul, like a typical Hebrew individual. He defines what he says. The rebellion. What's the rebellion occurs? What's the rebellion? He tells you what it is. And the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. That's the fef- definition of the rebellion. The definition of the Antichrist rebellion and the human ra- leading the human race in rebellion against Christ. That's the rebellion. Okay? And again, I used to hold the two previous views. I thought it was the rapture one time, and then I thought it was the apostasy in the church. No, it's the context is telling us. It's right there, right in my face. And I'm just sitting there going, you dummy. I can't believe you didn't see that. Of course I didn't. You know, so this is a perfect example where a lot of people I learned from were saying these other two views, and I saw this, and there's a few that, 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 I, that are, I'm not the only one that sees this. But I'm like going, oh, man. How well, you take your time, go through the text, and you come, you'll see this stuff and not be in a rush. So very important. So I had to change my interpretation of the passage. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as it doesn't lead to false doctrine, of course. So then it says... Uh, in verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? He taught them this all the time. In fact, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, he taught them the full counsel of God within a year. And we got some churches, man, they don't know anything about eschatology, or they know nothing about the spiritual life, the doctrines related to that. They know nothing about justification, sanctification. They get a gospel message on Sunday, and they keep getting that all the time. How are you feeding the body of Christ? You're not. So, he taught this church, primarily Gentiles, the whole counsel of God, the spiritual life, eschatology, justification, sanctification, talks about it all here, okay? So he says, and now you know what is holding him back. Who? The Antichrist, the mental lawlessness. What? Now that's speaking of the omnipotence of the Spirit, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back, notice he's a who now, he's a he, it's actually the Holy Spirit. The person of the Spirit is mentioned in this phrase, the one who holds him back. So it's the omnipotence, to put it together, the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit, who permanently indwells the church, when he's removed at the rapture, because he's localized, along with the other two members of the Trinity, in the church, when we're gone, then what happens? Then he says, and for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back, the Holy Spirit, will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then, notice the chronology, then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth at his second advent and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Go back now to Daniel 9.27, please. We're coming to an end here. So the 70th week also has a fixed point, again, because it begins with the prince who is to come, Antichrist, forging a seven-year treaty with the nation of Israel, and in the middle of this seven-year period, this prince of the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering in the temple. Now, there's a disagreement among scholars as to whether or not there's a gap of an indefinite period of time between the completion of the 79th week and the 70th week. And also, also, people as we have pointed out, dispensationalism, in contrast to other interpretive approaches, views Israel's rejection of a Messiah and his death as taking place after 
the 69th week, and the completion of the six divine objectives mentioned in verse 24 are left for the 70th week. Those who argue that the 70th week follows immediately after the 69th week, historically, apply the divine objectives in verse 24 to the church, which they then view as the new Israel, as I said before. However, adherence to dispensationalism, like myself, which strictly adheres, again, to the literal, grammatical, historical approach to interpreting script, the prophecy in all the scripture, recognize a distinction between God's program for the church and his program for Israel. The dust, dust dispensationalists view the fulfillment of the 70th week as yet future. And there are several major factors which support this view, that there's a time gap between the fulfillment of the 69th week and the 70th week. First, the six divine objectives that we saw in verse 24 must be fulfilled with the 70, within the 70 weeks. However, these have emphatically not been fulfilled historically. For instance, the objective of anointing the most holy place, we see in verse 27, has not taken place within the 490 years. The holy place was destroyed in Daniel 9.26, but then in verse 27, we see it rebuilt because sacrifices were allowed unto, under the firm covenant However, the, this temple doesn't presently exist, as we all know. Therefore, one must see a future fulfillment during the 70th week in Daniel 9.27, which thus necessitates a time gap, which corresponds to the church age, as we noted. A second major factor supporting a time gap is that Daniel 9.26 says that the Messiah will be cut off after the 69 weeks and not during the 70th week. Thirdly, the he in Daniel 9.27, as we pointed out, refers to the prince who is to come, Antichrist, in Daniel 9.26, if one supports, follows the rules of grammar, which would support the view that the nearest antecedent for the he at the beginning of verse 27 is the prince who is to come in Daniel 9.26. So the grammar tells us that. So connected to this third point is that if the he in Daniel 9.27 is the Messiah, which some, like the preterists, believe, then one cannot reconcile the fact that the temple sacrifices continued until 70 AD, over 30 years after the crucifixion of Christ. Furthermore, the he in Daniel 9.27 breaks the covenant. At what point did Christ break a covenant, make a covenant with the Jews and then break it? Last time I checked, God doesn't break his covenants. There is nothing in the New Testament which would even suggest that Christ made this covenant or broke it. Another major factor which supports the time gap is that the events mentioned in the last three and a half years of Daniel 9.27 fit perfectly with the events described in the book of Revelation. Furthermore, if the first 69 weeks have been literally fulfilled in history, then we would expect the 70th week to be as well. And of course, we have not seen a literal fulfillment in history of verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9, the 70th week. We have not seen a Roman dictator make a seven-year treaty with Israel, and then make, break it in the middle of this seven-year period. Nor have we seen in history a Roman dictator put a stop to sacrifices in the temple, and in fact, no temple is standing in Israel today. I like to say when people, you say every president gets, every president in modern, modern times has probably been accused of being the Antichrist. Uh, going back to Kennedy. Um, uh, because of the head uh, headshot, uh, we see that you know. You think about it; it's like I, when people go to me, "Oh, the Antichrist is uh, is is uh, is is, uh, is uh, President Obama or Trump." I said, "Did he stay? Did he make a treaty with Israel? And did he break the treaty in the middle of the treaty?" No, you don't see that. So, what do you tell me? This is 
it's President Trump or uh, he's a Roman dictator, guys. See, you know, if you're un, un, untaught, and I taught with eschatology, sound, you're susceptible to those morons. And they're idiots. And they're just leading you astray because most of these guys that talk about eschatology, a lot of these guys that talk about eschatology, they know it, it's one of those hobby horses that they have. You know, they don't teach the full counsel of God. They'll just teach about eschatology. And then they can draw a crowd because people want to hear about prophecy. I just teach the full counsel. We've done justification, sanctification. Now we're doing like, you know, that's kind of like steak and, uh, you know, the meat and potatoes and the vegetable. And now the day of the Lord thing, it's kind of, it's kind of like, oh, we get some, uh, here's his dessert. You know, here's, here comes uh, the chocolate cake with vanilla frost and all that stuff. This, ooh, this is going to be good. So anyways, we see again, and we'll close with this. We got to wrap it up here. We have see, not seen a Roman dictator, and that's what he's going to be. We haven't seen a Roman dictator come into history, at any time in history, make a seven-year treaty with Israel and then break it in the middle of the seven-year treaty. Nor have we seen in history a Roman dictator put a stop to the sacrifices in the temple. In fact, no temple is standing in Israel today, as we all know. However, Christ's first advent and presentation of himself to the nation of Israel as her king has taken place literally in history as recorded in the Gospels and thus fulfilling literally Daniel 9.25. We've also seen the fulfillment of Daniel 9.26, as we said, and the cutting off of the Messiah after this presentation, which is recorded in the Gospel as well. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans, as predicted in 9, Daniel 9.26. And thus it follows that if Daniel 9.25 and 26 were fulfilled literally in history, then we could expect the same for Daniel 9.27. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson would be a great blessing to your people and encouragement to your people and would cause us to live our lives in light of the imminent return of your son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the wrath to come upon this Christ-rejecting world. And we pray for this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Okay, I'll sing us a song that I didn't write called Mary Did You Know. I just love this song. So see, it's been a while since I played it, so. My, my uh, rendition of it. It's not Kenny Rogers' version. Remember, Kenny Rogers did it. It's like, I'm not a big fan of Kenny Rogers. All right. Let me just plug this sucker in. Walked where angels trod, and when you kiss, you live.
The crazies of the land. 